Hi friends, welcome to week one of a series of messages we're calling Weeds in My Garden. It's really just an honest look at mental health. And we're gonna look at issues like worry and anxiety and self-harm and suicide and stress and burnout and depression. We're gonna have a special guest come in, an expert to help guide us in thinking about how to help kids and students in a couple of weeks. Because everyone you know either really needs some hope or wants to help someone else who does. On the one hand, I'm excited for this series. I'm excited because I know how important this all is and how needed it is. But I gotta be very honest with you, I'm also, on the other hand, kind of apprehensive. Because, well, for a lot of reasons. This is, this is hard to talk about. It requires a, a kind of scary level of vulnerability to talk about it properly. And I'm also a little nervous, if I'm honest, about the reaction of some people. Like if we try to talk about stuff that maybe you're dealing with and you feel like we don't do it justice or we don't get it right. I mean, I don't wanna add to someone's burden, right? I'm not a professional counselor or an expert on any of this. And, and this is complex and, and sensitive stuff. I think some people may feel like, you know, this, that's just not my jam. I'm so sick of talking about this. Or I don't have any interest in that at all and just check out. So admittedly, this is tricky and there's a, there's a definite risk to it. But on the third hand, I come back around full circle, I'm very convicted that we just absolutely have to do this. Um, there's a reason why our mental health initiative was a central feature of our Unstoppable Good initiative, right? Whenever I would say, hey, we're gonna do something about mental health, you guys all cheered, or you nodded with that look that said, I'm proud that we're going after something so important in our society and in our family right now, because I think we all know and care about someone who's struggling, or it's, or it's we ourselves who, who's struggling. So we've gotta provide some help and some hope, and that's what we're gonna do. All right, so we're doing our homework. We're uh, praying hard about this and uh, talking to consultants and trying to get the right kind of counsel on it, but we just can't let anything prevent us from doing all we can do um, because uh, here's the deal. We have a problem, like, I mean, like a real crisis, okay? The, the emotional well-being of people is in serious decline. Like this isn't a little deal and not a little blip. And you can see it, I think we all feel it. And it was, it was palpable even before the whole pandemic thing. But now with the isolation and the polarization and the big changes in work and school, it's only made things worse, creating this like extended ambiguity and heightened stress that's like this perfect cocktail for burnout and emotional struggle. No wonder the World Health Organization's recent scientific brief states that um, the global prevalence of anxiety and depression has increased 25% since the pandemic. 25%. Survey after survey reveals positive attitudes are going down and anxiety and worry is soaring. Listen to this. Anxiety is now the number one, number one issue for women, but among, but among men, it's number two. Can you believe that? Right behind alcohol and drugs, which may be because men just don't like to talk about this stuff and uh, they, they're anxious uh, about talking about it, so they just mask it all behind weed and booze or, or worse. And, and the younger generation is even worse off. Gen Z is the most stressed out generation ever. In recent years, the share of high school students who say they feel persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness rose from like 26% to 44%. That's the highest rate of sadness 
ever recorded. That's almost half our kids feeling hopeless. 50% of parents of teens say that the mental health problems of their teen has worsened in the last couple of years, and it's mostly depression and anxiety. And kids and young adults are just like increasingly sad and struggling with life, and guess what? Suicide is now like an epidemic. Listen, it is the second leading cause of death. Think about that for young people between the ages of 10 and 24. So I think we all know this. It affects everyone. My friends in the military keep talking to me about how this is such a huge problem there. In, the, in law enforcement, same thing. In healthcare, education, we know it. It's everybody. I'm, I'm frequently on a Zoom call with a bunch of pastors from all over the country, all ages, different kinds and sizes, churches, this kind of thing. Um, we just talk about life, but that call has become a lifeline because so many pastors are struggling. I think you'd be shocked to see it. In fact, I, I, I can say this. I actually don't know any pastor who didn't hit a wall of some kind or other over the last couple of years, myself included. A recent Barna su a survey revealed that 38% of pastors indicated that they've seriously contemplated quitting in the last year. And I just got to thinking, you know, if, if pastors are struggling like that, I mean, how's everybody else doing? And the fact is, not so great. It's the leading cause of disability worldwide, mental health, and now infects one in five, one in five adults and growing every single day. So the bottom line is this, look up and down the row where you're seated, look around your house or in your neighborhood as you're driving down the street, a whole lot of people are languishing rather than flourishing. And maybe the, the worst is yet to come, like a tsunami whose biggest wave has not even really hit shore yet. So we've, we've got a problem. And, and the statistics, they're real. But we got to remember, we're not just talking about numbers here. We're, we're talking about, you know, people, right? The idea for this came from a friend, Clayton Hensel. He's a pastor at a church called The Crossing. But the phrase, weeds in my garden, we got from a real person named Kendall, who captured what she and a lot of us feel sometimes in a, in a song called Honest. And when I heard this song, Man, it just really got me. She perfectly captures what's going on with so many people. And I've shown this song to a room full of people on a few different occasions. And every single time, it's just like we all kind of just sit there stunned afterwards in silence. I want, you to, I want you to listen to it right now because it captures something real and raw and important. Okay, so here's Honest by Kendall Inskeep. This song is called Being Honest. I tell you that I'm whole, but I'm still healing. Tell you that I'm happy, but I'm grieving that I was a fighter. I'm still in the fire. But if I'm being honest, I'm not being honest. I'll give you roses, just hoping you don't see the weeds in my garden. If I'm being honest, I'm in the dark. artist is Kendall Inskeep. She was on the 17th season of The Voice, actually, with Gwen Stefani. And not long ago, she sat down to share what God had been doing in her life on the day that she wrote that song. And here's some of her story. My name is Kendall Inskeep. Um, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm a singer-songwriter for Warner Chapel and Carman Music. 
There's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of pain that is deep-rooted in my story. Ended up kind of rebelling when I was a late teenager. I was so angry at God. I knew he was there, but I had never had a relationship with him. I was at the point in my life where I did not want to be here anymore. My family, I hadn't talked to them in probably a year. They were like, okay, you need help. So I went to a facility for two months and I started journaling to Jesus. And I had read this journal entry to one of my friends and I read her this journal entry. We prayed about it. We asked Jesus to just remove this from Kindle. And I felt this overwhelming peace and joy. That is the day that Jesus met me where I was. Songhouse is this collaborative workshop for TikTok, Instagram, social media platforms. Um, the founder is Tyler Ward. We all go into this loft on Wednesdays and Saturdays. We're paired into random groups and we have 30 minutes to write a pre-chorus and a chorus. So the day we wrote Honest, I was just getting out of a really bad funk and my passions and my desire to do the things that I love just kind of were just depleted. I felt defeated. And so I called Tyler that day and I was like, I'm not coming in. I'm, I'm not gonna write anything good. Just totally allowing the enemy to get to me. And he's like, Kendall, you're gonna put two feet on the ground. You're gonna get your butt up and you're gonna come into Songhouse today. So I get there, we have a round or whatever, I asked him to leave again. Like, I'm crying every 10 seconds. Like, I'm just like a mess. But messes become messages, you know? He's like, no, you're staying. And then we get into the room and we're all going through the same thing in different ways. And the concept was honesty. And we're like, what if we're being honest about not being honest with ourselves? And it was like, Boom. And we wrote this song in like, I'm not even kidding, probably 15 minutes. That raw emotion that you might see in the video, that was exactly how I was feeling that day. Turns out, a lot of other people were feeling that way too. I think, you know, one of the lines that everybody tends to go to is the, I'll give you roses, just hoping you don't see the weeds in my garden. It made me stop in my tracks because it was like, if you can't even be honest with yourself, how are you being honest with the Lord? So that's not very authentic to our relationship. And how are you going to be able to fix me if I don't even give you those pieces? And so it was a moment of surrender. To anybody going through a season of defeat, allow yourself to feel it, but do not allow, allow that specific pain or suffering to determine your future. Your pain will be turned into something beautiful. Your weeds will be turned into roses at some point. So keep faith in that and know that because she or he who believes that the Lord will fulfill his promises is blessed. I love how Kendall says that that song just kind of spilled out from her raw emotion that she was feeling that day, and it turns out that a lot of other people were feeling that way as well. And I, I know that many of us hear those words, and maybe you feel like they speak 
for you too. Let's look at them again. I tell you that I'm whole, but I'm healing. I tell you that I'm happy, but I'm grieving. Thought I was a fighter, I'm still in the fire. But if I'm being honest, I'm not being honest. I'll give you roses, just hoping you don't see the weeds in my garden. If I'm being honest, I'm at my darkest. I'm sitting here waiting and praying for someone to show me what love is. I'm just being honest. And I really, I really, I know that hundreds, maybe thousands are identifying with that right now with those words. You're sitting there, maybe in, in a campus or in your home. You could look up and down the road, wherever you are, uh, people are struggling with suicidal thoughts and crippling anxiety or a blanket of depression that makes it hard to function some days. And I'm amazed at how much we can all keep hidden. And you might have even talked to someone, asked them like, how you doing? And they, and they gave you roses, hoping you didn't see the weeds in their garden. And, and, and we walked away maybe thinking they were whole or happy, or maybe you're the one who, who hid the weeds. But the truth is, if we're being honest, we're not always being honest. So we're gonna be honest. We're gonna be honest enough to say we really do have a problem and it's not someone else, it's all of us. It's, it's important and, and we got to do something about it. I think the first place to begin is to just like make it crystal clear that Jesus really cares about this, okay? Because I think some of us aren't sure, you know? But he really does care. He cares about this because he cares about people and he cares about us and how we're doing. He cares about you, he cares about me. So much of what Jesus cared about, so much of his ministry and what he actually did when you study the New Testament would today be labeled, oh, that sounds like mental health work. Think about it. He called people and gave them hope. He gave them purpose and something to do with their life that was meaningful. He gave them community, called them into something bigger than themselves. Turns out those are exactly the things that are missing. And when they are missing, we spiral into poor mental health and don't do well. When Jesus began his ministry, he went into the synagogue and they handed him a scroll to read. It was from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, chapter 61. Listen to it with like, put on your emotional health symptoms uh, in your mind for a second and listen to how Jesus described his mission. Look for some of these key words. He says, the Lord has chosen and sent me to tell the oppressed the good news, to comfort and heal the brokenhearted, to announce freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of a spirit of despair. You see all those words? Oppression, comfort, healing, hearts, broken, sadness. That's mental health language right there for people who feel stuck in a blanket of, of despair. And Luke says that he ended with these words saying, you know, I have come to set the burdened and battered free, to free everyone who suffers. Those are exactly the issues that people with mental illness and uh, struggling with the various issues that we've identified, that's exactly how they would describe it, isn't it? You know, obviously, you know, first century Palestine viewed what we would call mental health today very differently, but there's no doubt that Jesus would see mental health as an absolute priority and close to the kingdom of God that he was talking about. He starts out his whole ministry in Matthew chapter five, talking about what we call the Sermon on the Mount. When you look at what was he talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of those things today we would label as mental health issues. Remember, he teaches about worry 
and anxiety, about deep prayer where you're just really being authentic and confessing everything openly to the Father. He teaches about relationship struggles, the need to forgive. He teaches about inner authenticity and our lives integrating so that our outer world and our inner world match. That's all the stuff that that really uh, is the domain, so-called, of mental health. And Jesus says, you know what? It's actually life in the kingdom of God because you can't have life to the full when you're all twisted up with anxiety, depression, and shame. So, you see, Jesus didn't divide us up when he made us into the, oh, that's your spiritual part, and that's all I care about. He didn't didn't come out his ministry that way either. I don't care about your physical, your emotional, or your mental well-being. Is that Jesus? No. He cares about us as whole beings, and he cares for and brings healing for our whole selves. How about the time Jesus went... Uh, across the the lake there uh, to the land of the Gerasenes and there's this man who comes up and he's absolutely tormented. Mark chapter 5 tells the story. No one was able to tie the man up anymore, not even with a chain. He had often been put in chains and leg irons, but he broke the chains and smashed the leg irons so no one can control this guy. Night and day, he's in torment himself. He's out there in the graveyard. He's kind of cast out. He doesn't fit in anymore. He's cutting himself with stones. So here's a tormented guy Nobody really knows how to help him. And he doesn't know how. He's helpless and hopeless. His clothes are off. He's not functioning normally anymore. He's cutting himself and with self-harming and self-loathing and shame. All, all so many symptoms of what we would today say, oh, that sounds like mental health. And even though some of them were scared and disgusted or didn't know what to do, Jesus just calmly shows his strength and power and presence with this guy. And heals that man by overcoming his demons. And later in verse 15, it says, When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had once been full of demons, so messed up and tormented for so long. And everyone had kind of just like, I don't know, just given up. But then it says, he was sitting there with his clothes on and in his right mind. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. I think of the healing that Jesus wants for me and for you, for every single one of us. That's why I, I love the way Matthew summarizes Jesus' ministry. And in Matthew 4, he says, Jesus went all over Galilee and it says he went teaching. We expect that. Uh, he went preaching. W- you know, we get that. But he also healed every kind of disease and sickness and news spread. And people with, get this, every kind of sickness were brought to him. Some of them had a lot of demons in them. Others, were thought to be crazy. Others couldn't walk, but Jesus healed them all. Healed them all. Whatever our problem is when we're broken or sick or ill in our heart or our body or our mind, it's not how it's supposed to be. And that's the kingdom ministry that Jesus came to do. That's why responding to the mental health crisis is something we can't not do, you guys. It's not periphery. It's like central. It's crucial to our mission. It's what Jesus would be doing every single day. So it doesn't work to say, well, we're just going to hear, you know, we're going to hear to save souls because that's not the way Jesus did ministry. He cared for the whole person, all their needs, offered tangible help because he wanted this, what he described as abundant life. And that's what he calls us to do as well. So we want to be that kind of church, a Jesus church, where people really do find healing and help and hope. So I want to give you five things today that say, here's what you can do. Here's what we can do together, all right? Five things that can help, um, help us with the weeds 
in our garden. And they all start with the letter R to make it simple, okay? The first is really important, but we can't skip it. It's recognition. Recognize. First thing we've all got to do is get better at recognizing that we really do have a problem. Like it doesn't do any good to say, well, I've never had that issue, you know, or, you know, when I was younger, we never talked about this. It, that doesn't, that doesn't help anything. And it's, it's just not so unJesus like even if it, if, if, the, if you don't like this topic or you just can't relate, you, you got to figure this out if you're a Christ follower. You can't just say, well, what do I care? We need to recognize that this is all of our concern and, and it's having a devastating impact on families and, and kids and, and our future and the church. We're not at full um, optimal capacity if half of us or these kind of statistics are, are, are putting us on the sidelines. We gotta recognize we have a problem and then we need to get better at recognizing what mental health issues look like when they arise. Not just that we have a problem, but what does it look like? How would I know it when I saw it? Because the earlier we get help, and the earlier we help someone else get help, the better. So we gotta get better at recognizing symptoms for our friends and our family and in our own lives. So we see potential concern and can take some steps, okay? Because way too many people are just showing roses, roses, roses and hiding the weeds in their garden and suffering in silence. Now, sometimes the reason we hide our weeds is because we already feel ashamed about how we feel. Like we feel like there's something really wrong with us. Like I shouldn't feel this way, or I feel like I did something wrong, that this is going on in me. And Christians, I'm gonna shoot straight with you, sometimes we add to the shame of mental health by sort of giving off the signal that if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't be feeling that way. You'd probably get over it. You'd have enough faith, you'd pray it away. You know, if you truly you know, were a real mature believer. And, and listen, those things are just not true. Among some Christians, there can be this sort of stigma attached to mental health stuff. We've just got to bust that to pieces because we'll never be honest if we're worried about being judged or shamed or thought less of, right? It can be helpful to set the record straight that mental health weeds in our garden can grow up from like four different roots or causes, okay? So I'm going I'm to just kind of throw these out here because we all have weeds and when they pop up, you might wonder, well, Where'd they come from? What's the root cause? Well, there's like four different roots that can feed into the weeds in our garden of, of poor mental health. Number one, situational, okay? This is just the circumstances of, of life and situations. Stuff happens. Someone tells you they don't love you anymore. Uh, someone you love passes. Um, you know, your kid gets bullied. You change jobs. You move. You're getting harassed by a neighbor or a coworker, and all that happens maybe at the same time, and it piles up, and the load is too much, and we just have this hard time with some circumstances sometimes. Situations pile up, and it can lead us into anxiety, depression, or some other kind of emotional challenge. So, so talking it through and, and, and changing our behavior or our response and thinking about those circumstances can really help. But not every weed in our garden is just caused by our situation. Sometimes a cause of our challenges might be purely the second category, the second root is biological. Biological, this is how our bodies are just hardwired. Maybe our constitution, the way we are physically. Like we live in a fallen world and not everything about our biology and our bodies is the way it's supposed to be. How many of you wish you had a couple of different things about your biology, right? I've got a buddy who has Unbelievable metabolism. And I know this because he can eat an entire horse 
and three pizzas and three cakes for dessert and snack on Doritos and Ding Dongs all day and he stays the same bean pole he is right now. And there's other people, man, they just like scroll by a picture of a donut and it's all over. You know, they're, they're adding, they're adding uh, you know, width to their hips, right? Just by looking at a picture because biologically we're put together differently. Metabolism means we process food differently, the same food. And biologically, there are issues at play that affect how we wrestle with mental health. So there are hereditary things, predisposition toward depression perhaps, and other things like this that come into play. So some of the weeds in our garden are biological. Third, some are what you would call medical, like clinical, like there's an issue going on that's out of balance. It's not the way you are, but there's something going wrong. So you've got a chemical imbalance or something's off kilter with your body. You need someone trained that can sift through data and help diagnose and treat and maybe prescribe something that will help because mental health weeds sometimes are medical in their origin. And finally, a fourth kind of root that can grow up into a mental health weed in our garden is, is spiritual. I mean, it has to do with how you're doing in your soul, has to do with how you're connecting with God. I mean, I, I know a guy whose life was really falling apart, his marriage and his relationship with his kids, his <laughs> things at work were no good. It was just stressing him out. He was nosediving in every way. And when we finally talked it all through and he was honest, you know what? He had some deep unrepentant sin in his life that I think he was hiding from his wife and his kids and his God and he wasn't being honest. And when he came clean with that and got on the right track with the Lord, he felt a thousand pounds go off his back. Guess what? Everything else kind of started improving as well as he made amends with his wife and others. And it's an example of how sometimes there's a spiritual issue. And, and if it's deep enough and real enough, I mean, you can go to a counselor or get take pills all day long and it's not going to resolve it completely. So let me say here, there's a couple of errors we need to really uh, be careful to guard against, okay? One is because we're in church sometimes, we tend to make everything sort of spiritual. Like some of the weeds are medical or biological or situational, so we have to be careful just to assume that we're gonna solve everything, you know, through more prayer or Bible study or getting right with God. It's easy for pastors, especially I think, and, and Christians to give advice and counsel around spiritual things because that's maybe what we know or we think sounds right. But again, you know, sometimes that's the assumption. If you're more spiritual, you wouldn't have this problem. It's just not true. You look at examples like Jeremiah and Elijah and Moses and David and even Jesus himself all went through periods in the Bible where it sure looks to me like depression or poor mental health and the roots uh, weren't just spiritual. You know, uh, Jesus himself wept and cried out in horrible agony as he was betrayed. You know, that was real trauma and it was caused by his circumstances, okay? So, so don't, don't be one of those well-meaning Christians who gives horrible advice to people because you think every mental health weed is gonna be caused by the spiritual issue. You know, someone says, hey, I woke up with you know, a fever, what should I do? You know, well, I think it's great to pray because you know, I had this happen this week. We prayed for someone with a medical issue and they were healed. And I don't think the doctor did it. I think God did. But, you know, you should also maybe think about doing something for the fever and, and you know, take care of it. I, I mean, so if a person has bad kidneys and goes to get dialysis and, and, and we don't say, you're going to dialysis? Gee, where is your faith? Have you been praying? I mean, if, if you were praying and really a mature Christian, you wouldn't do dialysis. We would never say that. We know that sometimes uh, we get sick because an organ in our body isn't working right. If your heart isn't beating fast enough, 
We don't think twice about putting a pacemaker in. My thyroid does not produce enough thyroid. So I take a synthetic thyroid medication every single day, balances things out. We don't seem to have any problem with that as Christians, but yet sometimes when a different organ in our body is start to malfunction with some chemical imbalance or something not working right or producing things, uh, we, we say, wow, if you were spiritual, you, you wouldn't need to see your doctor. You just, you and Jesus would go and solve that on your own. I just think we need to stop it because sometimes the weeds in our garden are situational or biological or medical, not all spiritual all the time. Very often, it's actually a mixture of more than one of these roots, right? Like you might have a situational issue that piles on, that compounds with a biological tendency that also affects your relationship with Jesus. So just be careful about saying everything's spiritual because we don't want to drive a wedge in the relationship that someone has with God at the very time when they need to be depending on God the most. Keep telling them it's God's fault or, or their fault to, uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't help and it's not accurate. So now here's what else is noting. I want to, I want to come full circle and go the other way because we can go too far the other way. All right, stay with me here. We can sometimes fail to recognize that sometimes the things that mess with our mind and our body and our well-being are very much spiritual, Right. Like you can just go clinical completely and kind of forget the spiritual component. One of the reasons for this is because Jesus says you have a spiritual enemy. He says the devil's intention is, is to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and he's come to ruin it. So you've got an enemy who wants to steal your confidence, your peace of mind, kill your joy, destroy your self-worth. He's a liar and he fills your mind with lies that say you're no good. You don't amount to anything. You, you know, your identity is a pile of stuff. You're no good. And when we're walking in the spirit, it's like we have, he has clear access to our mind and he's alive in us and he guides how we tend to think. But when our minds are, are darkened in a certain way, it's like, I think we listen to the lies of the enemy and we struggle with shame more. Like not just, I did something bad, but I'm bad at a deep fundamental level. And, and that voice that comes and says those things to us is not from God. It leads to self-loathing in secret and spiraling downward. The voice tells us that we're, we're not um, who we are in Christ as beloved sons and daughters. We lose sight of that. A, a lot of mental health battles, I think, come down to us believing some of the lies that really come from the pit of hell, according to Jesus, that say, I'll never be loved. I'll never be enough. I'll never be wanted. I'll never be accepted. And these things are lies into the exact opposite of what God promises us in Christ. So I think it pays to be aware there is a spiritual dynamic who's an enemy is trying to steal, kill, and destroy your hope, your joy, your, your self-esteem, and all of that. And he'll do it any way he can. He's very sneaky. And, uh, and to convince you that, um, you know, there's no hope for you. So... Some of the roots are situational, some biological, some medical, some spiritual, and most of the time it's some combination, okay? I love how Jesus sums the whole thing up, Matthew 9, uh, when we're talking about recognition now. Jesus traveled through all the towns and it says, um, he healed every kind of disease and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I love that, that it just says Jesus looked and he really saw them and he has compassion and that's what we've got to do, y'all, is recognize that we've got a problem and then 
learn to see people who are struggling with that problem with the same compassion that Jesus can bring. Number two is relationships. Relationships. Second R is for relationships. And, and, and one of the most important things we can ever do to ward off mental health is to help people stay connected in healthy, life-giving relationships. All the data says if you go to church, you're going to be better off with mental health. And by a long shot, one of the main reasons is it provides relationships. So providing for ways for people to really have like genuine, healthy spiritual friendships is one of the most important impactful things we can ever do as a church. A new New York Times article came out a couple weeks ago saying that people who are getting older are living more and more by themselves. Uh, over 50-year-olds are, 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 are lonelier than ever. And uh, when people do life alone, they're way more prone to mental health challenges and shorter lifespans. Um, I always think of the book by Robert Putnam years ago called Bowling Alone, just showing how we're just we're moving more and more away from each other. And now just think how that, uh, with the last couple of years of isolation, uh, piled on more stress and anxiety. It's like relationships are really at a critical point. I think of Galatians 6, which says, share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. So, you know, relationships are so important. And you know what? They're particularly important for young people. And I think partly because of the pandemic and society as a whole, um, there are weak levels of connection, which is making poor mental health much more likely among young people. It makes the abuse of drugs, alcohol more prevalent. Globally, young adults, get this, spend 20 times more hours per year on screens taking social media than absorbing any kind of remote spiritual content. 20 times more. Wow. Today's teens spend more than five hours a day on social media. I bet it's actually higher by, that, by now. And, and, the, and the habit is displacing other beneficial activity like hanging out with friends or going to student ministry youth group or getting sleep. Is it any surprise that Harvard's Graduate School of Education found that loneliness is spiking to an all-time high? Social isolation is a leading contributor to kids feeling sad and depressed. So I'm just trying to make the point I think we all get. This is no time for like playing at church, for surface level relationships. More than ever, we need to be about relationships. Recognition, relationships. The third R is this, resources. We've got a whole resource page we've created just for you. You can look at the little uh, the link here and it will take you right to it. It's, there's a series of short videos we've created from professional counselors to help you with stuff like anxiety and depression and suicide. Go check out those videos, share them with other people because we want to be a resource church. So check back every week to that, to that resource list and it will really help you, okay? The fourth R, referral. Just wanna make the point simple here. Sometimes the best thing we can do as a church and you as an individual is to recognize I'm not really trained or a professional in this area. It feels like with what's going on, you'd be really helped by talking to a counselor. A counselor, talk therapy, it's not a replacement for God. It's like a stand-in to help God do what God wants to do. Just as God works through the hand of a surgeon or the skill of medical doctors to bring healing in our physical bodies, he can work through counselors to bring healing in our minds and our spirits. There's no shame, there's no stigma in seeing a counselor any more than there would be going for rehab for, for my knee surgery, all right? 
keep that in mind. We need to stop saying things like, well, just get over it, or, you know, oh, I can't believe they had to go to counseling. It should be a normal practice where we're, where we're doing what the Holy Spirit does for us by coming alongside and, and listening to us. God's made us very complex beings. And you know what? A, a counselor can help the Holy Spirit do the work to, to untangle emotions that get all knotted up inside of us sometimes. They can help us process things in a more mature way. The same event we think about differently after having someone help us with that. They can help us see how stuff we've learned from our families growing up as the normal way is really maybe not the best way of dealing with something. They can help us heal from grief, move forward when we're stuck, get a plan, get out of like despair and reframe like, oh, you know what, it's not so bad. Counselors can do all of those things. They can help us heal hurtful memories, process wounds, go to bed with the peace of Christ surrounding us, live with more gusto so we can serve Jesus better. I mean, all of that a counselor can do. And so we just need some help sometimes and don't be shy about it if, if that's what you need. And the fifth R is for real people. Friends, we got to be real people. We got to keep it real, okay? That means it's okay to not be okay. That's the title of this message. That's honestly one of the things I love most about this place is that around here it's okay. You can keep it real. You, you can be honest and say, this is who I am and what's going on. You may not be able to do it to every single person, but you find your place. And when you do, you're going to find someone who will say back to you, wow, thanks for sharing that. Me too. Let me tell you my story. And all of a sudden we've gone to a different level and we've got something precious, a bond with real people who know that it's okay to not be okay. The whole thrust of the gospel message is that Jesus came to a broken and falling world to heal and redeem and fix everything that's broken and restore it all. And that means he came for people who look just like us, who are broken. We're the ones that he came for. Some self-righteous people were looking at Jesus hanging out with sinners one day and they were like, oh, what's he doing? I can't believe God. If he says he's from God, what's he doing there? And they asked his disciples even, why does he eat with such scum? And Jesus said, you know what, it's, here's why. Because it's the sick people who need a doctor, and that's why the doctor came. Jesus is the healer of souls and the healer of hearts, the healer of families, the healer who knows what's going on within us, why we're struggling with anxiety and panic attacks and worry and burnout and stress, and when we're depressed and sad and can't perk up even though we want to, when we can't get out of bed even though we want to, when we can't shake the shame or the guilt, when we think about escaping it all sometimes and just ending it all. Jesus is the healer of all the things that cause those things. Because he didn't say, I came to help those who think they're so much better and all put together that they don't need me. He says, no, I came for those who know they're broken and busted. If you're hurting, you need to know that you need to put a fake smile on around here. I mean, sometimes people come in here dragging in, you know, darkened state, barely, barely finding their way, but then the presence of God and the worship of others and the message of hope fills their spirit and they, it changes their countenance. That's awesome when it happens, but you don't have to fake it. Around here, it's safe to be honest with God and with each other, which means it's okay to not be okay. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's our mission for how we're supposed to help someone else. How would you want people 
to come alongside you, how would you want that if you were dealing with mental health? You'd want them to just be there, to care, to listen and to show some support and some love, to be non-judgmental. And yeah, maybe give some guidance and advice if they, if they had it. But that's what we all want. That's what we need. And that's our marching orders for others. And the beautiful thing is, even if you feel like other people can't really fully understand, Jesus gets us. Hebrews 4 says he's able to sympathize with us in every way. You're like, no way. Jesus, he doesn't get me. It's like, oh yeah, he was homeless. <laughs> His family thought he was crazy. Anybody else? Right? His best friends turned their back on him. Right? Jesus says, me too. Because he was made to be like us in every respect, Hebrews 2 says. Jesus, Jesus gets you and and... And you are loved by not just Jesus, but this community. Because we're all, if we're honest, me included, we have weeds in our garden. The people sitting next to you, if you're in one of our campuses today, they're wrestling with the same things you are, and they're some of the best people I know on this planet. They're fellow wounded healers. Let me tell you a story about a, a volunteer in kids' ministry. Hadn't had time to warn her class of kindergartners about the, the little boy who came late into class and, and, um, and how he had lost his left arm or how he was coping with it. She didn't know. And so she was just, she knew it happened over the summer and she was very nervous and afraid that during class one of the kids was going to draw attention to it or say something or embarrass him or tease him about it. And so she was so relieved. They got through the lesson without any difficulty. The artwork went well. He was able to draw with one hand. No problem with the snacks. He gulped down his goldfish and juice without a spill. So she kind of relaxes and she's like, okay, we got to lead our class and got a little circle there for everyone gathered around. She's got to lead with this the closing uh, time that we always have. And she says, let's make our churches now. And she said, folding her hands hands together. She said, here's the church. Here's the steeple. We open the door and we see all the pee. And she stopped because she realized what she'd done. She was horrified. The very thing she was worried that one of the kids would have done, she had done. And there was that one-armed boy with his lone hand sticking up in the air. And they all stared in, in a moment of awkward silence, not quite knowing what to do. And then little girl sitting next to the boy she just reached over and she placed her hand against his and she said, let's make a church together. Friends, that's, that's the only way you can make a church. Two or more broken people who are not always okay, who are sometimes really jacked up and hurting and wounded and struggling. People like us coming together in Jesus' name, and say, we can be honest. We've got weeds in our garden. That's the church. We're broken people, helping broken people find healing, wholeness, and hope in the name of Jesus Christ. We're not a museum for people who are all put together. We're a hospital for the wounded, a community of wounded healers who are finding our help and our hope in Jesus Christ. So, if you're not okay today, that's okay. I want you to know this is a place for you because you're not alone. Jesus is here and he's the key to our life. He won't fix everything right away. 
He may not fix everything ever on this earth, but without Jesus, I don't know what kind of chance we have. If we had one more R, it would be this, real hope, because it's all about Jesus and He is the hope. Hope is the missing ingredient in every mental health scenario. Just Jesus won't always be the thing that balances everything out, but I know He makes everything better. And the thing we need the most is hope, and hope has a name, and it's Jesus. God bless you guys. Come back next week. We're going to dive right into worry and anxiety, do a deep dive, okay? Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, just the truth that you relate to us and understand us in every way and that it, it's okay for us not to, to be okay because you will meet us where we are and you can bring healing and hope and help through all the ways that we've talked about. We pray that you'll do that for everyone who's hurting. Get us onto these resources and referrals so we can get on the path of healing, so we can serve you full on. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.